We turn in God's word tonight to the first letter of Paul to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and we will consider tonight verses 1 through 3. And that's the section that I'll read as uh, we have within uh, our message tonight a lengthy uh, scripture passage as well from the book of Acts. But for tonight and for our consideration, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 1 through 3. One of the blessings of having the Lord's Supper in the evening is it gives you the opportunity in the morning uh, to, to prepare, to set the stage. And so this morning we had uh, the opportunity to look at the one who is indeed the preeminent. Not Reuben, not us, not uh, these bodies of sin, but the one who is the true son, the firstborn, as it is stated in the book of Colossians. And in that regard, we look to Christ, to Christ alone who has washed us and cleansed us. And so that, that sets the stage then as we now go to 1 Corinthians chapter 1 to deal with what the Westminster Confession speaks about in regards to the church. Let's hear God's word, his breathed out word. Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother Sosthenes, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those in every place, call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. That's for the reading of God's word. Let's ask for his blessing. Father, as we have heard your word read, Father, may it be more than just words upon a page. May it truly be the utterance of your voice to us in this evening hour. Give me, Father, the wisdom and clarity to bring this word, to proclaim it as your truth, to encourage us in our walk with you. In Christ's glorious name we pray. Amen. So we want to look at two things from this passage, and I'll already warn you, we're not going to make it through the whole sermon outline, okay? If we made it through the whole sermon outline, we might be here a long time. So I'm not going to do that. I'm going to divide the sermon into two. We're going to do point one, and then we're going to do point two, just the first part. Because that, as I reflected upon it, seemed to be the place to stop. The place to stop and go to the table and to be reminded of that which God has done. So if you, if you don't think I, I made it all the way through, I didn't. You may keep the outline. Lord willing, we'll come back to it next Lord's Day evening. First of all, then, we want to talk about the identity of the church. And secondly, the membership of the church. The identity of the church and the membership of the church. Notice how Paul begins this. To the church of God that is in Corinth. Now let's stop and consider a couple of things. One, it is the church of God. That's how he addresses this body of believers that are in this location called Corinth. He addresses them as the church. That word, church, okay, that we have translated into English here in the Greek is ecclesia. 
In the Greek, it means the assembly. So we could read this passage to the assembly of God that is in Corinth. That's how a Roman, that's how a Greek would have understood the word. Those who first heard this, okay, those who first received this letter to the ecclesia, the people sitting there in Corinth re- receive this letter from Paul to the ecclesia, to the assembly, to those who are called out, to those who have been set apart. See, it, it wasn't, sometimes we think these words are, you know, Oh, secret, sacred language, right? That, that there's some sort of word thing going on here and only us as Christians would understand that. Not in this case. In this case, if, if I'm living in Corinth and I hear the word ecclesia, I already know what that means. This isn't something that takes the Holy Spirit in my heart and in my mind to interpret the word so I get the right meaning. If I'm in Corinth and I hear ecclesia, I know what Paul means. He's addressing an assembly. It's the same word that they would use if there was going to be a called meeting for a particular political purpose, which is kind of interesting, isn't it? Right? So if, if I'm in Corinth and there's going to be some sort of political get-together where there's going to be some sort of discussion, they would, they would say something along the lines, the ecclesia, the assembly, will meet at such and such a time at such and such a place. It was also word that was a common word to use in terms of the meeting of various guilds. Now, that's a word we don't use very often. But a guild is tradesmen, people who had certain craft. Maybe it's the potters, okay? And, and there was going to be an assembly, an ecclesia of the potters. Certain trades, certain, certain ways, uh, maybe it was going to be woodworkers group. We might use the term union, but that has such a bad connotation. Let's stick with guild, okay? And, and they're going to have a meeting. Paul is using that same term. And you see how this idea of being called out comes in. We are calling you out from your homes, from the location you are, to come to a meeting, to an assembly. We want you to gather together. You are the ones who are now being set apart for this particular purpose and task. So it's not some special word that is being derived here. He's using a word that they were all very familiar with, but it has a special context. It has a special purpose. Secondly, in regards to this word ecclesia, is the fact he wants to distinguish it from the word synagogue. He wants to distinguish this group of people who are in Corinth, this group of believers, that they are not part of the synagogue. And in a few moments, we're going to go to Acts chapter 18, and, and I'll demonstrate exactly why that was. 
Part of it has to do with a very close geographic proximity. And he didn't want anybody to be confused. Hey, we're part of the ecclesia. We're part of those who are set apart. But this ecclesia is not for political purposes. This isn't a political group meeting. This isn't some trade guild meeting. Notice, Paul says, to the church of God. The assembly. Those set apart. Those called out by God. They are of God. It shows the ownership. It shows shows the sovereignty. The church is never to be termed my church. The church is never your church. The church is never our church. The church always is that which belongs to God. The word that Paul uses here, theos. God, as it were, in his full being. His triune being. That's who the church belongs to. And God has said, the church shall have a head. It shall have someone in control. That head is going to be Christ. And Christ is also going to be the means by which you gain membership into this assembly, into this group. So don't look past this simple address to the church of God. There's a whole bunch that, that Paul is containing in here. The, the, there, there's, there's deep ramifications as to this statement of Paul. The church of God that is in Corinth. It's local. He's not addressing here the church of God as it exists in the world. He is addressing a very specific group of believers in a specific city. We, we've kind of gotten into the idea that of, of the worldwide church of God. And, and we'll get there in this passage, Lord willing, next week Sunday. Because Paul goes there, right, to all those who call upon the name of the Lord. But sometimes we, we've made the church so... How do I say? We've made this church so broad in that regard that we forget the importance of a local body. That we forget this this church, this gathering of believers, this place that was located in Corinth, the place that is located in Walker, the place that is located in Coopersville, the place that is located in Lamont, the place that is located here at 2518 Arthur Street. He is addressing a specific local group of believers in Jesus Christ. And they are the church of God. We are just as much the church of God here tonight with us gathered as it is with the fullness of the church around the world. See, we don't have to, we, we kind of take, sometimes the local church kind of becomes, well, you know, it's not that important. It's not that important if I show up. It's not that important if I'm involved. I'm involved in bigger ministries. I'm involved in bigger things. It's like Paul's saying, wait a minute. What about your local church? 
Wait, what about that? That too is the church. That too is the church of God. That too is the church where Christ is the head. That too is the church by which you can have membership only through Jesus Christ. This is not something to toss off. This is not something you can just go, well, I'm a Christian in general, but I'm not a Christian specifically. I'm a Christian globally, but I'm not a Christian locally. The word of God, as it comes to us in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 2, will not allow us to do that. Paul is saying and emphasizing the importance of being part of a local body of Christ. Secondly, there is a location. There is a place. I know we we spend a lot of time, right, talking about the church as well we should, that the church is not a building. Right. The church is not a building. The church are those who are sanctified by Jesus Christ. But that church meets in a location. And that is important. Now, this is where I need you to go back to Acts chapter 18. So we're on Paul's second missionary journey. This is the first time now he's come to Corinth. Uh, Commentators disagree a little bit. Was he there three times or does visit two and three kind of go together? We know he was there at least twice. Whether or not he actually went there a third time, that's kind of the part that's up for dispute. But we know for sure he was there on this missionary journey, his second. Now listen to what happens. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. And he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla. Because Claudius had commanded that all the, all the Jews to leave Rome. And he went to see them. And because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked. For they were tent makers by trade. Notice the, the trade thing creeping up already. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade Jews and Greeks. When Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word, testifying to the Jews that that Christ was Jesus. And when they opposed and reviled him, he shook out his garments and said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. I'm innocent. From now on, I'll go to the Gentiles. Now listen to this. And he left there. Where did he leave? He left the synagogue. And went to the house of a man named Titius Justus, a worshiper of God. Well, where is his house? Notice Acts tells us his house was next door to the synagogue. You think there's a reason why Paul begins to the church of God that is in Corinth. To the ecclesia, to the assembly. To the assembly of God that meets in Corinth. To those who are called out. yeah, Called out not only of the darkness of the world, but called out of the synagogue. Let there be no mistake, Paul is saying, we're not meeting in the synagogue. We're not Jewish people. We are believers in Jesus Christ. We are called out. We are distinct. And we assemble. Where do we assemble? We assemble in Corinth. 
Where in Corinth? At the house of Titius Justice. Where is the house? Right next to the synagogue. No, we don't want you preaching here. Okay, I'll go right next door. Just imagine if Paul had Whitfield's voice. <laughs> Every time they gathered, they hear Paul preaching, right? Next door. An amazing thing. See, and, and this is that harmony of Scripture. His house was next door to the synagogue. See, they, they, Paul wants us to know that yes, the church of Jesus Christ is worldwide, but there was a church in Corinth in a specific place and that body of believers met in a specific place there in Corinth. And I won't bore you with all the details, but I've seen it. Well, I've seen the foundations. And when they say right next door, it's like they shared a common wall. There's a common wall, synagogue one side, the ecclesia, the called out ones, the assembly on the other side of the wall. But notice what else happens. Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord together with his entire household. And many of the Corinthians hearing Paul believed and were baptized. And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, do not be afraid. Go on speaking and do not be silent, for I am with you, and no one will attack you to harm you, for I have many in this city who are my people. And he stayed there a year and six months, teaching the word of God among them. But when Galileo, the proconsul of Acacia, was proconsul of Acacia, the Jews made a united attack on Paul and brought him before the tribunal, saying, This man is persuading people to worship God contrary to the law. But when Paul was about to open his mouth, Galileo said to the Jews, if it were a matter of wrongdoing or vicious crime, oh Jews, I would have reason to accept your complaint. But since it is a matter of questions about words and names and your own law, see to it yourselves. I refuse to be judge of these things. And he drove them from the tribunal. So they all seized Sosthenes, a ruler of the synagogue, and beat him in front of the Tribunal, but Galileo paid no attention to any of this. Did you read 1 Corinthians 1? 1? Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother, Sosthenes, the beaten one. They together now are writing this letter inspired by the Holy Spirit to the church of God in a specific local place. It's an amazing thing to think about. That God takes note of a house next door to a synagogue. It says, there's my called out ones. There are my people. There is my assembly. There are those who are set apart from all the rest of those in Corinth. It's a beautiful understanding. But you see, the idea is they're an ecclesia, so they're a gathering. See, the ecclesia is the body of Christ, yes. It's the people, yes. But ecclesia means it's the people gathered. It's the people together. It's the people as the body of Christ. 
It's the people assembled as we have here tonight. This is the ecclesia of Little Farms Chapel. The church of God in a particular place, in a particular location, gathered as church to worship and to glorify Him. Thirdly, in regards to the identity of this church, not only is it the church of God, not only is it localized, but it's also visible. You could see it. Right? It, 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 it's, it's something seen. It, it's, it's, it's an entity that was visible. The people are visible. The house is visible. The worship would have been visible. This is not something secretive. This is not something held behind secret doors where nobody can go in, nobody can see, and nobody can hear what is happening. This is out in the open. We meet. We meet in this house. We meet at this time. And we gather together to worship and to glorify our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, the King and the head of the church. There was no shame in that. There was no turning back from that. And when the Jews seek to mount an attack and say, no, you shouldn't be meeting. Do something about it. Do something about it. Even the proconsul says, not for me to deal with. You deal with it. In these short verses, Paul, by the Holy Spirit, tells us so much about who we are. That we are to be a seen entity. We're to be a visible entity. We are not to be Little Farms Chapel, some secret society, hushed, kept in the, off to the side. Shh, don't tell anybody. No, no. Here we are. This is where we meet. This is where we gather as the church of God under the headship and rule of Jesus Christ, set apart by the work of Christ. So secondly, let's look at the membership. To the church of God that is in Corinth. To those sanctified in Christ Jesus. It's just that phrase to spend a few moments on. Sanctified in Christ. I had to ponder that a minute. Because when we read in Romans, that glorious golden chain of salvation, it doesn't end with our sanctification. It ends with glorification. But Paul seems to indicate that the end is sanctification. What's he doing? He wrote both passages. Well, Romans 8 where it ends with our glorification, Paul is dealing with, as it were, the cosmic, eternal plan of salvation. That which God will ultimately do for all of eternity. We will be glorified. But here, Paul is dealing with our life here and now. And the end goal, this is what we got to get. The end goal of salvation here is that we live sanctified lives. That's where, that's where 
this salvation and this plan of salvation, this work of God from his call, from his election, right? Through our justification, our adoption, the whole plan is what? What's the purpose of God doing? Let me ask it this way or state it this way. Why, at the moment we are born again, why doesn't God just take us to heaven? Why doesn't God just take us to heaven then? We've reached it, right? So I'm justified, right? All right, sin's gone. Take me to glory. Boom. Right? And I'm gone. But God doesn't do that. Why? Because God says that the end of the plan of salvation here is not that you're justified, but that you're sanctified. I want to do something. I want, while you have life and breath upon this planet, I want to work in your life to make you holy. Oh, the triumphs of God's grace. Isn't just that he takes sinners like you and me, right, and justifies us through the blood of Christ, but that he takes sinners like you and me, justifies us through the blood of Christ, and then makes us holy, makes us pure. This is the work of God. So Paul says here, who is the church? To those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus. This work of God of setting us apart, of making us holy, of making us distinct from the world, that we think different than the world thinks, that we speak different than the world, that we act different, that we have a different moral compass than the world. That we have different goals, that we have different desires, that we have different plans than the world has. Because God is at work in his Holy Spirit in our hearts and in our lives, transforming us. That's why at the moment of our death, we just don't leave this world. He says, no, no, I want to leave you here. I want to leave you on this planet and I want to transform your life from the life of the sinner into the life of a saint. I want to transform you into one who is sanctified in Christ. I want to continue that process throughout your life, setting you apart so that you might be, you see, a light that I can show to the world, look, look what I do with sinners. I take dirty, filthy people like Paul, a persecutor of the church, and I transform him into a missionary for Christ. I take a prostitute like Rahab and I transform her into an ancestor of my son. I take a Peter, a doubter, a denier, and I transform him into one who says we will follow God and not men. Why does God leave them? 
Why does God leave you? Why does God leave me? So that we might be shining lights of his glory in this world. Trophies of his grace. Arise, shine. God calls his people to in Isaiah chapter 40. God says to Israel in Isaiah chapter 49, I have made you to be a light to the nations, a light to the Gentiles, that they might see and that they might come. See, the purpose of our sanctification is not that we feel holier than other people. It's to draw people in by God's transforming grace. Look, if he can do it with Bob, think of what he can do with me. That's why Jesus says, you're the light of the world. Because God has transformed you, sanctified, but only in Christ. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 5. We so often get caught up in Ephesians 5 with the word submission and then loving like Christ loved the church, that sometimes we miss something. Because oftentimes we just end at verse 25, right? Okay, wives, be in submission. Husbands, you love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for Good words. But look at the next line. That he might sanctify her. Why did Christ love the church? To sanctify her. Having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. So that he might present the church to himself in splendor. Without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. That she might be holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wife. This is what Paul is talking about in, in Titus chapter 3, where he talks about the washing of regeneration by the Holy Spirit. We've been washed, we've been cleansed, set apart to be holy. When Paul here addresses the Corinthians to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Jesus Christ. Notice, there's no other means of sanctification. There's no other way that this can happen. Our sanctification, our being holy, just like our justification can only be in Christ. Why are they the set-apart ones? Why are they the ecclesia? Because they're the church of God who've been washed, who've been cleansed, who've been made holy by Jesus Christ. Every part of our salvation is a Christ-centered salvation so that we claim no credit, we claim no honors, we can never say, look what I've done. Look at who I've made myself to be. And that's why we continually come back to the table. 
Because when we take that bread, when we take that cup, there is that awesome realization. No, I didn't do it. I didn't do any of it. It is Christ by his love giving himself for me that I've not only been justified, but I've been sanctified. And I am a member of the body of Christ. Was everybody who went to those ecclesia meetings saved? Nope. All we got to do is go to chapter 5 of 1 Corinthians and we'll find a guy who wasn't. Paul says, as I said this morning, turn him over to Satan. He's not really part of the body. But you know the follow-up to that story? Is that when you go to 2 Corinthians, (laughs) the man's repented. The man's repented. He's part of the ecclesia. He's part of the assembly. He was washed. He was cleansed. He's one of those who is sanctified in Christ Jesus. So I invite you, come. Come to the table. Be reminded again of what Christ has done for you but also be reminded of what Christ is doing in you. Amen? Amen.